people. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Strong with Dr. Michael G. Daniels. This is your host, C.B. Baker here. We got a really good episode for you today. Uh, now, we have been talking about relationships and marriages and the issues that go on in that. But today, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about what's going on today. And what I mean by that and what's going on today is what's going on in the political um, sphere today because we honestly uh, passed the we just can't get uh, away from it so we, we you know we decided that look let's go ahead and have a discussion about it because some people just this is this is different strange days as they say because every day you know today is uh, at one o'clock and so far Trump hasn't done anything newsworthy so far today <laughs> but uh, but he most likely will do something by the end of the day that's going to cause breaking news which we went, we went through, um, I might say, uh, may say, uh, a quiet, almost really quiet eight years with Obama compared to the first 120 some odd days with um, President Trump. So, but today, Pastor, you brought along today a, a wonderful guest. I'd like to have you introduce her. Uh, uh, thank you. And uh, I'm so pleased to have with us uh, Dr. Veronica Coleman. Uh, who certainly um, lends herself um, to the conversation very well because she is an individual that is certainly politically astute, has a great grasp not only on the political scene locally, but nationally, uh, but also uh, is a very prominent figure in the religious community. Uh, so without uh, any further ado, um, I would just like to bring in Dr. Coleman and have her tell our listeners a little bit about herself. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am overjoyed to be a part of this conversation today. And of course, it is a very timely conversation. Uh, as Dr. Daniels uh, said, I am a pastor in the Virginia Beach community. I have been involved very much in the community and the things that are going on. And so I am aware of what's happening and I'm ready to have that discussion with you. Well, it sounds great. So I'm ready to get this discussion. Um rolling here now the situation that we have right now politically and a lot of issues that are happening without lack of better words just on racial lines it seems like a lot of decisions is happening you know uh, christians versus muslims black versus white or u.s versus immigrants it's gotten down to to that point um in the political um, ramifications of things so biblically and that's what we talk about here. We try to bring real, real world stuff into, um, and try to see what the Bible can help us through these troubling times um, that we're going through now. What can we do, or expect, due to history, to happen during situations like this? Well, you know, I, I think that one of the things that Christians have to do is that we have to accept that we have a responsibility, you know, we, we have a duty. Uh, I, you know, for me, um, when I think about the national issues, and, and that's where you know, I see you, you know, you're talking first, is that if you consider uh, the current climate of the uh, administration, we have an administration that has been put in office primarily by those individuals that consider themselves to be on the moral right. You know, uh, they, they, they espouse family values, and they espouse, uh, you know, Christian principles. However, uh, they are extremely comfortable backing an individual that seems to have very low morals, that seem to have very little Christian uh, 
uh, principles about himself and, and certainly does not have an appreciation for family values as far as how he lives his life. So it, it, my concern basically is how can we as Christians, those of us who consider ourselves to be Christians, uh, how can we stand still and act as if uh, our leadership is going contrary and, lives, and has a lifestyle that's contrary to what we believe? Because that has an impact on our children, has an impact on our future and our day-to-day lives. I, I certainly uh, certainly would echo that. Um, I am reminded of uh, Dr. King's uh, speech back in 1967 when he was he said to them that to be silent was to be a silence was a betrayal. And so what he said what he was saying to the church was, and you see what's going on. It it is time to stand up and say something. But to not say something, obviously, it's a going on with what's going on, and it's betrayal. And I believe if silence was betrayal in 1967, then silence is truly betrayal in 2017. So for the church's response, first of all, we must not be afraid to stand up and say something. And then uh, we must also follow up what we're saying with some action. I agree. At this point, we do need to start saying something. Now, we've had a podcast, um, a couple podcasts ago, past the world where people's asking questions about, you know, what's going on with the pastors of these mega churches and, and why they're not saying nothing or why they're not doing enough. And we had a deep discussion about that. Now, she just mentioned that we need to go and, and take a step further and start doing more acting, but that not necessarily mean the pastor of the church. I, I'm, I'm seeing it as the people, the congregation you know, needs to start doing more things in, you know, getting out the vote or getting the message out to the people that may be misinformed about some things. Well, absolutely. And I'm, here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'm saying it's certainly the pastors need to um, stand up for what is right and what's righteous. And, and we need to not have fear about, about doing that. And here's an example. And I mentioned this in church this past Sunday, for example, um, Donald Trump, current president, uh, did the commencement address at Liberty University. Now, the, um, the president of the college touted him as being a great gift from God in a positive way. Now, I, I, here's where I'm at on that. How can I, as the pastor of a church that's pushing Christian principles, say that a man that openly brags about groping women, a man that lies, you know, as if, his lies are truth and, and doesn't have a problem lying doesn't have a problem letting you know he's lying, you know, doesn't have a problem uh, having behaviors that suggest that he if he's if he is not prejudiced, he certainly espouses principles that lend themselves to him being prejudiced and or racist. So then how can I as a Christian leader say that he is he is a great leader? How can I tell my children grow up to be like Donald Trump? when that goes against everything that the Bible teaches that they should grow up to be. So um, to me, I think that's a starting point. I think what we also have to do is we have to be in, we should be enraged. You know, we should be enraged about how things are happening in, in, in that regard and not sit still. And so uh, again, if you consider, as Dr. Coleman mentioned, what happened in the, in the 70s, in the, in the 60s, excuse me, uh, leading up to the 70s, and if you look at what Jesus did, he didn't sit by silently and just let things happen. You know, he wasn't afraid of approaching people and letting them know that, listen, what you're doing is not what my father would have you to do. 
<laughs> yes, go ahead. I agree. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is time for the church to stand up and say something and call the state a state. Uh, the things that we see our current president doing are not in alignment with the gospel that we preach. And we cannot be afraid to stand up and say that this doesn't measure up. But then what, uh, also, I agree that we should, we should lead. It doesn't mean that the pastor does everything, but it means that the pastor has to stand up and speak and lead the people. Let the people know exactly how uh, the actions that we see in front of us are not measuring up to the gospel. And, and echoing what Jesus did, calling it out and letting them know what needs to be done and leading that charge. Um, we are and not being afraid to get involved. You know, I'm very careful to make sure that my congregation knows what's happening in our community, and then they can choose to get involved in the way that best suits them. I tell them, you, you join the fight wherever your passion is. If your passion is administration, then maybe you need to go get on a board. If your passion, uh, if you feel like marching, that's, that's you, then you need to go in the street and march. If your passion is to work behind the scenes and that's where your skill set is, then do that. But I think that all of us need to be engaged in, I'm calling it, in the resistance. Um, but you do it according to what your skill set and what your passions are. Now you said you said a word that that is very powerful and also scary to some people is the word resistance. You know, normally when you hear that word is usually, you know, on CNN or Fox News and, and they'll say the resistance is fighting against the government. And, you know, so you, when you say those words, I, I think um, <clears throat> not to say to take it to that level, but that's really kind of like what we have to start thinking about is like, look, we need to start doing something. You know, I don't know if marching is the answer. But something needs to happen to let people know this is not right. I think, um, Pastor and Doctor, that society, American society, has been so um, not brainwashed is not the right word, um, diluted, I should say, from TV, movies. So you see stuff that happened in TV and movies over and over again, you, you tend to get used to it. And people now just turn on the TV and they see this happening, you know, with uh, Trump and the bombings and the bans on, on certain religious groups coming into the country, uh, flying. Now he's proposing a laptop ban on international flights, but there's going to be in a cargo hold. How much sense does that make? You know, but people just look at it and they turn the channel or they just it just glosses over it. How do we get people to wake up and say, look, this isn't normal. Well, let me tell you what I think um, is, is, is a part of the problem. And, and I don't want to be labeled as a, um, a someone who is too hyper in my, in, my, in my thinking or too sensitive. But here's, here's the thing. You have uh, a group of people that call themselves a religious uh, or moral right, you know, uh, that they, they espouse a certain way of thinking. Uh, they are Christians. And, and by and large, they, they supported our current president. You got to ask yourself why. You know, why would they support this man when his lifestyle, when his policies, when everything goes against what they view as being important? Why would you support a man that you know, who, who you know has zero family values? Why would you support a man that you know is misogynistic? 
Why would you support a man that you know has bankrupted small businesses, you know, you know, time after time after time after time? Why would you support a man who you know is not transparent, who has said, I refuse to show you my taxes? Why would you support a man who you know lies constantly? This is a man that says, I saw the Muslims celebrating from my office, you know, in New York. I saw them in New Jersey celebrating. I don't know what kind of eyesight you would have to have to see them jumping up and down celebrating on 9-11 in New Jersey. I mean, let's get real. You know, who who in their right mind would even be looking in that direction with everything going around at, you know, That's at the right. World Trade Center? So, you know, he's lying. Here's the man that says he's had the largest inauguration in, in history as far as <laughs> people showing up. We know he's lying. Here's the man that, you know, it's lie after lie after lie. You got to ask yourself, why would anybody support him? Why? And who's supporting him? I'm a firm believer that if he was not so much against Mexicans, if he was not espousing things that was hurting blacks, if he was not demonstrating and letting them see him as being on their side, and I mean those racist, rebel, flag-carrying individuals, if they didn't see him as a friend, they would not be backing him. They don't back him because of his policies. They back him because of a deep-seated belief that he is also anti-black and anti-Hispanic and anti-anything that is not Anglo-Saxon white. That's my belief. Yeah, and the truth is, is that he, you know, while we didn't like his message when he was campaigning, and we certainly don't support it now, his message tapped into uh, what a lot of people wanted to hear. You know, um, I didn't mention this before, but I'm a candidate for the House of Delegates in the 80th district. And one of the things that I've been finding out as I'm running is that one of the main things you've got to have is you've got to have a compelling message. And a compelling message means that your message has to resonate with the constituents that you want to represent. And whether we like it or not, his message um, uh, resonated with a large group of people who agreed, even if they wouldn't say it out loud, they agreed with what he was saying. And that's why we have the issues that we have today. That's why you can resonate. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, uh, Dr. Coleman. And I guess that that's what, I guess, bothers me. When you consider all those, like again, Liberty University, you consider all those uh, uh, strongholds in the religious community that are willing to go totally against what they espouse as being their faith-based, you know, uh, 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 constitution, their article, basic articles of faith. They're willing to go against all that because, as you say, it, it, they are. I would consider closet racists. You know, mm-hmm. that's basically what's going on, because otherwise you could not do that. You know, you, you could not cheer. I was watching one of the um, one of the uh, campaign events and, and, and this um, elderly white man who, 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 you know, had his rebel flag. Here he does. He, 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 he punches a young black guy and they're mm-hmm. cheering. And, and when 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 Trump says, if you do knock, if you do fight him, I'll pay your, you know, your, your right. right. I'll, I'll pay your legal expenses. And, and yet we're still backing this kind of guy. And it infuriates me that these individuals who call themselves uh, uh, leaders in the Christian community would not stand up and, and acknowledge, at least acknowledge that there's no way Jesus would support this kind of activity. There's no way. 
I, I believe that what's going to happen eventually, um, Dr. Coleman, is the the, the alarm clock's going to go off on some of these people. I'm not saying all, but the people that's middle of the road that you, know, you see on TV, you know they got good sense, but they will support them anyway. You know, we've all had that, that situation happen when you know, you was in an argument with somebody or discussion, and you got on the side of one person. Then about halfway through it, you was like, "Wait a minute, now I don't know if I agree with this," but you, but you like you're stuck supporting them. So somebody sticks a microphone in your face. You talk about all the positive things that you know that that person was going to do. I do believe, you know, we're only 120 some odd days into his presidency. I'd give him two years before before the majority of those people. The, the ones that I say that really got him elected, which is that middle of the road people that was tired of hearing certain was was glad to hear certain things being said. You know, you know, their 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 uh, children couldn't get a job in minimum wage because you went in the store and it was a bunch of Hispanics or illegal immigrants in there working at McDonald's. You know, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't prove that they was illegal, but when you asked them a question, they couldn't speak any English. So, that, I mean, it was like, it was pretty obvious what was going on. So, uh, once that, this wave goes by, are, how can we get through this to from now to four years? You got to really think about this. We got four years of this coming, okay? How can we manage this you know, through prayer and going to church. But now once we've done that, we got to walk in today. You know, we got to face this every day. How do we get by that? Well, I think that the number one way to do that is to change the people who are representing us uh, in political offices. Because the people who are there, one of the reasons why they are supporting him is because they have an agenda. And they feel like he is the person that is best suited to get their agenda passed. And it may not be that they agree with everything that he does, but they know that he's going to do get something passed that they want, regardless of what that particular particularity may be. And so their usefulness, their usefulness of him will continue as long as he's advancing their cause. So you get a Jeff Sessions who who you have those who want to go roll back on criminal justice reform. And if that's your thing, then Trump's your man. You are the person who, as you said, doesn't want to see immigrants. Then if that's your issue, then Trump's your man. I may not agree with all the other things that he does, but because he's going to make that happen, then I'm going to stand by him. And so what we've got to do is we've got to change the people who are who he's also using to advance his cause. And for us, that means changing our representation in Washington. It means changing our representation in, the, in our state houses. It means changing our local representation. Because we need to pull the rug out from under him the support that he has to see that, that is complicit in advancing those agendas. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and let me say this too, uh, Dr. Coleman, because I know you, you, know, you, you don't like to toot your own horn, uh, but I'll toot it for you. And uh, that's why I think it's extremely important for, for all of us to rally around uh, Dr. Coleman uh, as she uh, seeks uh, public office. 
because not only does she bring a sense of justice, a sense of right, uh, but, but she also understands the process. She understands what needs to be done. And, and, she, and she also is not afraid uh, to step out and, 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 and do what's right rather than always trying to do what's politically, you know, um, to her, to your advantage at that point in time. And that's what we have to start doing. We got, we have to stop being afraid, uh, to, to do the right thing. And we can't be afraid to support those that are willing to do the right thing. Right. I agree with that. And, you know, as much as, as a business owner, I put that out there. I'm a business owner. As much as I did not like Obamacare, as a business owner, mm-hmm. I understood what it meant for America. So therefore, now I'm going to gripe about me having to provide health insurance and it raises my cost up. But then, I, but I understand why for the greater good. Mm-hmm. So th- that's that. See that compromise there. I'm able to compromise. You know, just but a lot of people are not able to do that for whatever reason. It's like if it hurts me, you know, uh, to hell with everything else. Well, mm-hmm. and not only that, let me tell you, I, you know, I hate to keep harping on this, but I, I think it's, it's, it's hidden racism. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I, I, I listened to an interview that they did on CNN a little while ago where they were speaking to a, a business owner in the Midwest. And here's what this lady said. You know, she, her and her husband, they own their own company. And she said under the Affordable uh, Care Act, which we call Obamacare, her premiums were about $95, 80 to $95 a month, okay? But she says she didn't think that was fair. She didn't think she should pay so little because she was able to get subsidies under Obamacare. So that's why she voted for Trump. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you think you shouldn't have got a subsidy, then you should have just went on the open market and bought your insurance. Right. You didn't have to get insurance through Obamacare. You didn't have to get a subsidy. See, I guess that's my point, is that these people are saying these things because it sounds righteous. I don't. Be- I believe in my heart that these folk, are vote- these folk voted for him because they are closet racists. And that, uh, you know, that their agenda... For, and I'm not talking about the political people, you know, the congressmen, senators. I'm talking about the average person in the polling booth. That you know, those moral majority folk that voted for him, that they're just racist. There's no way I can be a Christian. No way, zero, that I can be a Christian and not want to help the poor. There's no way I can be a Christian and not be tolerant of others. There's no way I can be a Christian and not want to side for the underdog. That's not what Jesus espoused. Anyone who has read one gospel, don't have to read all four, just read one. Read one epistle, not all of them. It is evident what Jesus would have us to do. So I think that's the issue. And and, and in, in this country, <clears throat> unfortunately, with Obama, the divisions became out front. You know, those people that before were kind of hiding it came right out with it. We got extremely divided when, when he became president because then the racists came up front. You know, it was no longer hidden anymore. And that's why, to me, you know, this let's make America great again. Is all they want, all that's really saying is, let's go back to where uh, we were in our place. You know, when we were colored. That's all that's saying. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and the, but I think the other thing that, that the church has to do is we have to reframe that word moral. 
because the uh, so-called evangelicals have claimed the moral authority. And I think that we need to reclaim that term because what they are doing is not moral. And as Dr. Daniel saying, it is not in line with the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's not in line with the teachings of the Old Testament. <laughs> and so we need to reframe that word, reclaim that word, and, and let people know what moral really means. Now I'm going to throw, ask a question at you. This is not a softball question. This is, this is the fastball. Um, it's not, and it's not a curveball. It's a mm-hmm. fastball. So you're able to see it come straight down the middle. Is there any room where Christians and Muslims can come together and kind of help each other out getting the country back on the moral standards of you know being more righteous than fake righteous? Uh, Absolutely. See, here's the thing. Whether you are Muslim, whether you are atheist, whether you are Christian, we all want the basic things. We all want, you know, to be able to live in a world where we can be safe, where our children can be safe, and where each of us has equal opportunity to prosper. Okay, I mean, so can it be done? Absolutely. The problem is, the way I see it, there seems to be some value for some people to keep us from that, from doing that. That they like the idea of having us pitted one against the other, you know, because for some reason in their minds it benefits them. I haven't figured out quite how they view it as benefiting them, but there are people that like to see it that way. So they continue to espouse hatred. Uh, let me tell you, as I have said to you know many occasions. I've never heard, I've never had publicly one Muslim call me a nigger. I haven't. But I've had many people who were white call me niggers. So why would I be mad at a Muslim? Muslim? They're not the ones that that I have experienced, you know, racism with. You know, they're not the ones that I have experienced keeping me down. So I don't have a dog in the fight against them because they haven't done anything to me. You know, I, I, I haven't figured out yet why. Um, we who are Christians feel so threatened by people who haven't done anything to us personally. Right. Dr. Coleman? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think certainly there are areas of common ground. And Dr. Daniel said there are things that all of us want, and those things we can work together on. I don't have any problems working with my Muslim brothers and sisters or any other faith or no faith at all. Uh, everybody wants children said. Everybody wants economic opportunity. Everybody wants those things for our community. And so as, when we see intersectionality, those are the places that we can work together. I agree. I, I think if, we, if we're able to work together, a lot of stereotypes will start, stereotypical walls will start falling, and people will start opening their eyes and saying, okay, this is not that bad, and, and then start prosecuting people and not the religion, so to speak. You know, so when you start prosecuting the religion, then you're putting everybody in a big group of people and saying they're all bad, which we already know all of them are not bad. You know, you, that's just, let's just be real. And if you were to take it, if, if you had a, a nation of Islam person there right now, they would be up in arms saying the Christians are bad. That's what the first thing they would say, you know, because you it would go through the history of stuff. But that's for a whole nother podcast. We talked about two hours on that one. <laughs> but, but in the whole 
grand scheme of things, I do believe that if we was able to get something like that off the ground in the um, ground game, as it, as it per se, if the Democratic Party was able to do something like that, because you already know the Republicans, they're so far gone, you could forget that ever happening there. Mm-hmm. So something like that would have to happen with a little bit of the Democratic Party or the independents um, kind of pushing that along to where everybody can now get on one accord so we can stop, like I said, prosecuting a religion and prosecuting the person or the people that do the certain heinous acts of terrorism. Well, let me say this too. It, it happens in the neighborhood. For example, um, if if you live in a neighborhood and your neighbor is, let's say, um, a Hispanic, and and you have cookouts with that neighbor, you don't feel like that neighbor is your problem. If you're if if across the street from you, if you go to the store and the person that owns that, let's say, convenience store, is is happens to be, you know. Is Islam, maybe their religion. You don't feel bad about that person. You know, if you work on a job and that's who works beside you, you don't feel bad about that person. So it's like you'll say, he's okay, she's okay, but it's them other ones that I got a problem with. Right. You, you, you know, <laughs> if you follow what I'm saying. Right. See, the reality is everybody is okay. You know, everybody is okay. People respond when they have been hurt. People respond when they have been wronged. While I don't think there's anything right ever in, in, in suicide bombs, is never right to, to kill people, but I can understand their frustrations because you got to look at these people. You know, if I live, if, if, if someone were to come to America, let's say, and they were trying to root out, I don't know, let's say they were trying to root out the Hispanic population, but they bombed my house mm-hmm. and my insurance not going to pay for that. Because what? Your insurance doesn't cover terrorism, that kind of thing. So now you just bombed my house and killed my kids. And you gave me a good explanation, but am I happy? No. <laughs> no. No. And then they bomb in your neighborhood. And the same thing happens to you. See, after a while, I don't view that as an isolated incident. I view you really are attacking me too. And so rather than me getting on the side of the person who just bombed my house, I get on the side of the person you were trying to bomb. Because I feel more associated with them than I do with the person who just bombed me. See, I understand that. I mean, I don't agree with the, the, the retaliatory factors, but I understand that. So I guess what my point is that I don't view them as an enemy. I view them as people who feel they have been wronged. And so it's up to us to help them feel like we're not trying to destroy them as well. And I think the same thing is with the, you know within the United States of America. That's why I say for some people they act as if there is a benefit to them continually pitting blacks against whites, Muslims against you know this kind of thing. And as Dr. Coleman pointed out, uh, Donald Trump he math he was masterful in doing that, in pitting one group against another. He used division to become elected, and that's how he got elected. And he's used you continually to use division to keep his numbers up with his base. And so we have to figure out some kind of way how we can combat that divisiveness that he has put in place. And that's going to be the task from what I can see. Yeah, I, I think um, not not to pull up uh, an ancient campaign slogan, but a campaign slogan we heard in the fall was we are stronger together. 
And that is absolutely true. If we can just begin to understand that when we, when we work together for the common good, then we are better. I'm reminded of about five or six years ago, we were trying to do something in the community, and in the Greenland community in Virginia Beach, and a lot of us came together, uh, pastors came together, white, black, uh, and we even as the Jewish community as well. And we pretty much, I cannot, we, we were quite different politically. We had vastly different political views. But we all agreed on a couple of things that we wanted to do for the community. And so we set aside our disagreements and began to just look at the things that we agreed on, and those are the things we worked toward. And we were very, very successful because we came to agreement on certain things and let the other things go by the wayside. And so I think if we could ever just come to some kind of agreement on what's best and agree to disagree on the other thing, we can get a lot accomplished. Yes, I do, I do agree. Now, uh, Pastor, I want to go back to something that you mentioned about, um, and, and you mentioned, you touched on a little bit, which is really revenge. You know, after the, they bomb me by mistake, and that keeps happening, and I start seeking revenge. Because the first words that came to my head when you said that they bombed my house to kill my children, the first thing I'm going to say, I got to go kill them. Okay. Now, I'm talking to two uh, people that's well versed in the Bible. So now, the next statement that came in my head was the Lord said, vengeance is mine. So please give me a brief um, synopsis of where that came from in context. And next question is, does that mean should we not seek revenge because the good Lord is going to take care of it? Well, I, I didn't say I would seek revenge. No, I didn't know you didn't say. What I said was I can understand them seeking revenge. I, I got that. So my point is, I'm not advocating revenge at all. So I, I, you know, I don't think revenge should be on the table. Okay, what I'm saying is, I understand why people will quickly align themselves with those who are seeking revenge. You know, I, and I understood everything that you were saying. So, so do I think that the Lord? I guess is the question. Do I think that the Lord will take care of all of His children? Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, it's no doubt in my mind that God will not do what he said he will do and that he certainly has the power to change minds and change hearts and everything else. But also understand this, that when Jesus saw a wrong, he didn't just sit by and pray about it only. He righted wrongs. When Jesus saw people were hungry, he, 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 he fed them. He didn't just say, well, you know what, just, just pray about it. In fact, uh, James in his epistle said, if a man is hungry, and all I do is say, let's pray about it. That has no effect on the man, unless as I'm praying, I'm also feeding him and letting him know that God is providing this food. Similarly, when Christ saw that they were polluting uh, the temple, he didn't just say, well, let me walk out. He turned the tables over. He expressed his discontent. The Bible says, be angry, but sin not. So there's nothing wrong with me being angry about the political environment. Nothing wrong with me being angry about what's going on. As long as my actions based on my anger does not go against the teaching of the Bible and nothing in the Bible teaches me that I cannot try to right a wrong. And I don't consider righting a wrong as being being vengeful. I think right and wrong is doing what we ought to do. So I'm not seeking vengeance when I say, you know, there ought to be, for example, uh, there ought to be a special prosecutor. Uh, that's not vengeance. I'm just trying to right the wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. OK, so. Go ahead, Dr. Coleman. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. 
it was hard not to agree with what Pastor just said. <laughs> so I was just stating, making a statement on my what I would be seeking is I know Pastor would be seeking vengeance, but if it happened to me, the first <laughs> the first thought in my head was revenge. Is you know I'm going to go take care of this because, but that's probably what. And God forbid, I've never been in that situation, and, and hopefully I never am. Mm-hmm. But in that scenario, you really don't know what is going through their minds. But if it's like you said, if it's happening in your neighborhood consistently, then at some point you're going to be like, well, I'm going to join the other side. Now, I'm going to bridge that to this. <clears throat> With the police department, with the few bad apples that they do have, mm-hmm doing things to young black men or minorities in the, in the wrong way. At what point do we turn it, you know, do we say, look, man, we got to, something's got to give. You know, you can't just keep turning the blind out of this. When do we hold not only the, the police department, not the chief, the whole entire department and the political people that are appointing or helping these people get elected accountable for something like this happening? Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. And I admit this is a curveball, all right? Because, see, the problem is not primarily the, the police department. We are the problem. Okay. Uh, it, 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 as has been said, you know, I found the enemy, and it is us. For example, if a policeman shoots my son and... The, the, the prosecutor takes him to trial and the jury says he is innocent, then that gives power to the next policeman. If every time policemen are go before a jury, they are continually found innocent, even though the evidence suggests, even though you have videotaping of them using a chokehold and killing and the man dying, even though you have videotaping of them, someone shooting the man in the back and you still get a hung jury when they saw him shoot the man in the back as he was fleeing. When we all know that deadly force should only be used in certain situations. See, when juries find people innocent of those kind of crimes, then that gives the policeman the feeling that, hey, listen, uh, it's okay. Right. We are at fault. Juries should stop finding policemen innocent just because they are policemen. Policemen make mistakes. I'm not saying they did it, you know, because they were angry. I'm just saying they made a mistake. When you make a mistake, you should pay for that mistake somehow if there's harm caused to someone else. And I give you an example. If you go to your surgeon and your surgeon inadvertently drops the scalpel, cuts a nerve, and you are now paralyzed from the neck down, he's not found innocent, even though that was not criminal. He made a mistake, but the jury will say he made a mistake and they will award you something. If the same thing happens with the policeman, if he inadvertently pulls the trigger by mistake and you end up dying, he will be found innocent because they will say he wasn't trying to kill you, but you're still just as dead. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. I I, I think we, um, uh, we, we have to just be aware of what's happening and and again, start start with us, and make sure that we're signing up to, to uh, register to vote so that we can be called upon to be on those juries, so that we can change uh, the outcome of some of those trials. 
And I think that that's, that's one of the things that we need to, to spend more time on is making sure that our communities are registered to vote, which is where uh, we're getting called to be on jury and be a part of the solution and not just always complaining about the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and that, that means that we have to uh, make the sacrifices so that our uh, uh, people who are qualified become policemen. And then we have to push to get them promoted through the system. We need to make sure that the Commonwealth's attorneys are people that are, 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 are uh, sympathetic to everybody and not just a few. You know, we need independent people reviewing those things. Because when you think about this, the Commonwealth attorney's job depends on a collaborative effort between them and the police department. So if you have that collaboration, how can one really impartially act against the other? And so you, you have that disconnect because the Commonwealth attorney is not going to vigorously prosecute a policeman when that policeman is working to help the, help the Commonwealth attorney office. Right. It just doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. But that's how the right. system is currently uh, set, set up. But again, that's on us. We have accepted that as being the order of the day. And, and we collectively, when I say us, you know, I don't mean individually, but collectively, we have not done anything to change that. And so while I applaud the marching, I applaud Black Lives Matter, I would like them to really not just say Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Vote. Black Lives Vote, as Dr. Coburn said, Black Lives Vote. Black Lives Will Vote. And we need to put Commonwealth attorneys in office that are sympathetic and compassionate to the needs of our communities. Yes. One thing I've told people, if you want to make a statement, march down to the police department and fill out an application. Absolutely. You know, you already know. So, well, you know, a brother, brother CB, you know, I got a fellow. I don't care. Go down. They got to accept it anyway mm-hmm. and then reject it. If you had 200 people in line at the police department filling out uh, job applications mm-hmm. and you call the news up, they're going to film it. It's going to be on CNN. And that's a good way to, pro- to protest. And it's showing everybody, look, we want to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side mm-hmm. of that coin, what I tell people, is now they got to justify turning down 200 black people mm-hmm. from a job of working in the police department. If somebody's right. going to get hired. They got to hire somebody. Right, right. You know, then you're coming into the same class, you get you stick together, and then you work from within, and then maybe we can see some change. Because as we all know, there's people in those departments too that want change, but they can't quite get it. Absolutely. And, and uh, done. Now, I'm going to say this. I would never say that I believe that all police officers are bad. I, I, I don't think any police officer inherently are bad. I think people are people. And you have the same mentality. I don't care what job you're working. You have people that work for the IRS, you know, <laughs> that will, you know, not give you the benefit of the doubt. Right. And you have people that work for, you know, all agencies that are like that. But the the, the, the problem that I have is that we are led to believe that because you are a police officer, you cannot make a mistake. See, that's the problem. And just because you're a police officer don't mean you're perfect. You still make mistakes. You make mental mistakes, you make physical mistakes. So if you mistakenly kill somebody, just own up to it. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to cover it up. Own up to it. If you shoot into a car 50 rounds, own up to it. That you know what, I didn't mean to kill everybody in the car. I was just shooting the driver. Right. But you know, if that was your real intent, and again, see, that's the problem I have. Is if, if there's a 12 year old and he has a ruler in his hand, and you shoot him and kill him, 
Okay, I get it. You thought the ruler was a gun. But admit it. Don't try to find a gun where there was not a gun. Or don't hide the tapes for two years before we can see that the person didn't have a gun. Right. You know. And one thing I I can also say is that in every instance that where someone was killed by the police, most of the instances, the police officer was devastated right after it happened or in shock when it happened. You know, um, I haven't seen one where it was like a blatant type situation like the manager got convicted, I think, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. You know, he basically just ran him down and shot him. It, most of them are not like that. Right. So that's how I know it's, it's and I go along, I think me and Pastor, we had a conversation uh, about it over a year ago. We was talking about the training aspect of things. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get different type trainers in the police department so where they can understand and recognize the situation where the basic training is told them something else is happening, but that ain't always the case. So once again, that's another podcast, and we probably spent about two hours on that one. But um, Dr. Coleman, what's your feeling on what we could do behind the scenes to help the situation out with the police department and the justice department? Just in general, what can we do behind the scenes? And I say behind the scenes because there's a lot of people out there that's trying to get on TV doing this versus just mm-hmm. trying to fix the problem. Right. Well, honestly, uh, the first thing is is to uh, find out exactly what the policies and procedures are in your for your police department, you know, exactly what's happening, what's governing their uh, actions, and then um, become aware and become vocal with the police department. And when you see something wrong, you'd be afraid to, to step up and step out and say, hey, we need to work on this. But then be a partner with them in working on those things. Um, you know, in our community, it's a community, community policing uh, is something that, that we know our police department has made a commitment to. And so we want to work with them in improving their relations with the community. And so being involved. And knowing knowing what the policies are, and then taking action to work along with the police, uh, not for the camera, but you know, doing the good work of just just knowing what what's going on, and um, and working with them, being a partner with the police department. Pastor, well, I mean, yeah, I certainly have to. Agree. I, I I agree with that. You know. You can you can you know there's an old saying that, and I will you know soften it up a little bit. There's no saying that you can get more, you can catch more flies with honey than you can um, with um, trash. I'll just use that term. All right. And, and, and that's very true. And, and so, you know, if we're going to help make a change, you know, behind the scenes kind of, then we have to kind of, uh, uh, you know, I guess ally ourselves, you know, with our police departments and so that they understand that they don't have to be afraid of us either. That, that it's not us against them, it's us with them, because we understand that they want to be safe too. You know, they want to come home safe, right. and we want them to come home safe. We just also want to know that when, if we get pulled over, that we're safe. And I can tell you, uh, the way things are now, uh, it, it, anytime I see a siren, the first thing I, I do is I turn my phone on. I turn it on for a reason, and that's because I have this feeling that I might not come home. And I want somebody to know what really happened as right. opposed to what someone says happened. And that shouldn't be in my mind. Right. You know, I, I should feel like when I see a police officer that I'm glad 
not that I'm afraid. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we're winding down now. Uh, we're reaching the 50 minute mark. Um, Pastor, is there anything you'd like to say before we depart? Uh, I just want to, again, thank everybody for tuning in. And certainly if you have uh, any any topics that you think that, you know, you would like us to discuss, I'm so happy to have Dr. Coleman uh, agreeing to, to, to come in from time to time. And I hope it'll be more often than not that she'll get in to, to lend a, a different perspective on things. And I do want to let everyone know, those of you who do not know, that Dr. Coleman will be running for public office. And I just want to encourage you to support her because we need people like her uh, helping us to right the wrongs that have been done. Yes, and Dr. Coleman, you got anything um, to say before we depart? Thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to be a part of this um, broadcast today. Uh, it's certainly been a, a, a great discussion, and I look forward to being able to come and share again. Um, and as Dr. Daniels said, I am a candidate for the 84th District of the House of Delegates for Virginia. We have a primary coming up uh, uh, on May the 20th at Bow Creek Rec Center uh, between 12 and noon. And I'm asking anyone who's in the 84th District uh, to please come out and, and support me as we go to represent uh, these everyday working folk. Uh, in Richmond, who I don't believe their needs and concerns have been heard or represented before. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you, Dr. Coleman, and this is Joe C.B. Baker. Thank you for listening to Everyday Strong with Dr. Daniels. Till next time. <laughs>